Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Turn with me tonight to First uh, Peter. First Peter. We're going to look at chapter 1 there. What do you think the one characteristic the world is looking for when it looks at the church? We have to admit that uh, our society and our world has a... Uh, disjointed type of relationship with the church. I mean, there's, I mean, all across the nation, it's unusual to have churches that have all young people. Most of the time, uh, when you think of people that go to church, you think of people that are uh, fall into one or two characteristics categories. One is people that just always went to church. That's all they've ever done. That's all they ever know. And that and that's how they grew up and lived. And so that's how they are. And so they're in the church. And then the other group of people are the older folks uh, that uh, more mature individuals uh, in our society have a deeper sense of uh, commitment to things like the church, our uh, baby baby boomers and uh, the builders and all those uh, age groups that are characterized by those names. Those are the individuals that are very faithful to our churches, and our, a lot of our churches are are seeing a uh, a maturing of the congregation. I would dare say that a majority of the people that go to church in our county and you know our area is is a very religious area. Uh, we're not like some areas of uh, the nation where uh, there's a lot of people or even a sparsity of people and and not too many people go to church but those who do go uh, you know we're in uh, I always like to hear where everybody thought they were the belt, the buckle of the Bible belt. You know, uh, uh, we are in the far south and we are uh, in a very religious area, uh, but yet uh, the majority of the people that come to church are those that fit in one, in one of those two categories, either people that have been uh, in church all their life and so they continue to go to church throughout their life or people who are more mature that fall into the builders or uh, the boomers. Um, so what do you think is what the world, those people that are outside the walls of the church tonight, what do you think... Uh, they are are their expectations or their desire. What do you think the world wants to see out of the church? This is where y'all wake up and start talking back to me now. Yeah, good uh, remember, remember, this is not television. This is real life. You, this is interactive to a T. Uh, you're not sitting at home. On your couch, you're expected to, to voice your opinion. What are some of the things? It comes to mind 
Authenticity. You hit the nail on the head right there. The, our world, and I think it. I think it was so easy to come to. Not that you aren't brilliant and are able to do to do that uh, greatly, but I think that's what the world is looking for. And I think if if the world could see a church that is truly authentic, I feel like more people would be drawn to. Uh, come to church. I think one of the main reasons why so many people don't come to church is, is their view of those who do come to church is not that of authenticity, but rather of hypocrisy, isn't it? I mean, I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying that's the the viewpoint of those that I speak with and those that I come across is that, you know, why don't you come to church? Well, you know, I would if it wasn't for all them hypocrites. You know, you've heard that. I, I hope you've heard that because it's true. Uh, that's what the world thinks of us. Now, I don't know where that came from other than maybe the the very public uh, downfall of some major uh, TV preachers and that kind of thing. But hopefully there's enough people out there that don't uh, view all Christians by uh, two or three Individuals that had a very public downfall, like Jimmy Swaggart and uh, Jim Baker and others of their same kind, those people that built themselves up so greatly and, and then just fell because, hey, let's face it, uh, we're human. We all falter. Uh, we all fail. We all have failings uh, uh, within us. And the world looks at us and they expect... Uh, well, you know, you're, you're Christians. You're supposed to be a certain way and a certain type, even though they miss the point about us that we're... I love the bumper stickers that, that put out the theology of, uh, you know, we're not perfect, we're just forgiven. And that's true. We are, we are forgiven and we aren't perfect. We aren't... And, and for that reason, we ought to be reaching out to a world that is not perfect that needs to be forgiven that that needs Jesus Christ in their heart and life I just love bumper sticker theology uh, you know um, a lot of times they miss tremendously but but a few times they hit it on the head uh, Peter here is is reaching out to people that are Christian, but what Peter is is writing to in First Peter is to uh, those who are Christians that have been dispersed. Think about this uh, in the Book of Acts, the second chapter of Acts. We read about the Pentecost in which the Spirit of God came upon the disciples, and in that state of the Holy Spirit newly anointing them. Uh, with the Spirit, uh, they went out and they shared the gospel with thousands of people who were there for the Feast of Pentecost. And uh, they were there in Jerusalem at that time. And so as a result, uh, they saw 3,000 join in the fellowship of the, of the way, which is what those who followed after Jesus Christ were known of at the time. Um, and as a result, uh, a part of that time, Peter stood up and he uh, gave this tremendous sermon that uh, that 
to that assembled crowd. They Remember, they were there and they said, uh, look at these guys, they're uh, drunk and it's not even noon yet. And Peter stood up and said, hey, these men aren't drunk. They are filled with the Spirit. And uh, others said, no, we hear them in our native tongue. And uh, they couldn't understand how these uh, fishermen, these these you know people of average intellect, I mean, these were not scholars, put it that way. They weren't Pharisees, they weren't Sadducees, they weren't supposed to be people who are knowledgeable of the law. Here they were, they were th- speaking author- authoritatively, and they were speaking in the languages of these people who had come from the four corners of the earth. So Peter uh, was the one who delivered that awesome sermon, and he had a wonderful altar call where they saw 3,000 people come to the... Uh, I'm jesting, there wasn't an altar there, but you know they saw 3,000 thousand uh, people get saved and join into the fellowship well those people went home and so Peter is writing this letter to all those who accepted Christ and they went and they were dispersed if you'll look at first Peter and you'll look at the uh, first uh, verses of first Peter it says Peter apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He's basically uh, writing this this particular letter to those Christians who were there at Pentecost who are part of Asia Minor. Uh, all of those places that he mentioned there. And he's trying to give them some direction, some course in their life. And, and what... Uh, what he's trying to help them with is what the world is looking for in us today, and that is authenticity. The world is looking at us and say, okay, you say you're Christians, yet you know you have people that do all these different things, and you talk about how righteous and pure you are, but uh, then you go out and do these things. You let us down in so many different ways. And, and of course, they're not talking about all of us, but uh, they're talking about us in general. And that's true. We cannot sit here and say we're, uh, we're, uh, we make out even amongst ourselves, uh, when we talk about sin, oh no, I don't do any of that. I, oh no, no. You would think everybody in church was, were, were uh, sainted and holy and without having ever sinned in, their, in, in, our, in our lifetime. But, but as I mentioned this morning, all of us have sinned. The Bible tells us clearly all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have missed the mark. We've not hit the goal and the standard that God desires for us and we've all sinned we've all done wrong but we don't want to admit it we want to act as if we're all perfect but we're not and so Peter is writing to uh, this uh, eclectic group of people that have gone out uh, uh, to the four corners of the earth and he's speaking to them about how they should live. And it gives us some great advice about how we should live as well and how we can be more authentic with people in our community. Because let's face it, if we were more authentic, if people saw us for who we really were, and if people understood who we really were, I, and as we tried to share with them, and I mean, what a wonderful opportunity we had this past week with Bible school and how uh, we had people who normally don't come to church here 
here for our Bible school and they were able to see us and they were able to see a fun time and they were able to hear the gospel and they were able to see us as who we really were. And, and, you know, that's all uh, uh, goes back to why we do the things that we do of going out into our community uh, and trying to, to interact with people so that they can see us for who we really are and not the image that they've portrayed on us uh, and, or the image that we've tried to project uh, in society, but to see us for who we really are. So I want us to pick up in... Uh, Verse 13, and Peter has been talking about how uh, we have uh, received the faith and we have uh, had, have salvation in our souls. And he says, wherefore, now whenever you see wherefore in the Bible, you're supposed to do what? You're supposed to see, uh, look at wherefore and ask yourself why wherefore is therefore. You know, you ask, ask yourself, why is it there? And usually whenever there's a wherefore or something like that, it's pointing back to uh, what has been uh, uh, spoken about preceding to that. And what Peter's talking about is the hope that is found in Jesus Christ, the hope of the prophets. It says in verse 10, of which the uh, the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Uh, those prophets foretold of the grace that, of God that was coming, and that is... Uh, who? Jesus Christ. And so he says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you, is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, written, be ye holy, for I am holy. So what I want you to understand is, is, is we're called upon by God to be holy, you know, What comes to mind when you read the words of be holy? Well, for many of the people who were reading these words, they, uh, they, uh, if they had any inkling of uh, the worship of God by the Israelites, which most of these people most likely did because they came to Jerusalem to worship. These were people who had been spread out uh, through occupation of Israel and all the different times in which uh, the Israelites were taken off and uh, the overrunning by Assyria and by Babylonia and all these uh, 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 these different peoples that caused the Israelites to be spread out and far flung uh, as things uh, became uh, less strict, they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem to worship God uh, as their forefathers had worshipped. That's why they had come from all these other places and came in uh, because they had been integrated into those other nations and so they uh, that was their home but they came to Israel for uh, 
Passover that came to Israel for uh, the uh, Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost. So uh, this is why they were there. So they have an understanding of who God is. And, and in that understanding, in the Jewish mind, there's this, when you say holy, you think of one thing, and that is God. Uh, throughout history, the Israelites were had drummed within their mind the fact that God is holy. Everything about their practice of worship was a a exclamation point to the fact that God is holy. I mean, this is why there's a uh, portion of the temple that they couldn't go into uh, the Holy of Holies. This is why the tabernacle had a uh, a place of holiness. This was why. Uh, only the Levites were allowed to carry. Uh, I, you know, reading through the Old Testament, reading through the Bible, I, I came across uh, not too long ago uh, the account of when David brought the uh, tabernacle back to Jerusalem once he had established his reign as king of Israel and and had built a. Uh, a palace there in Jerusalem and a place of, and of authority and a place of, of reigning there in Jerusalem. He, uh, the, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the um, tabernacle was not there in Jerusalem and he sought to have the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem where they were. And so uh, David built a, a huge tabernacle there in Jerusalem and he, and he readied it for the Ark of the Covenant. And so he's uh, he had sent for the, the Ark of the Covenant at one time. And you remember it had been taken away by the Philistines and uh, they had kind of sent it back to uh, the Israelites because it, it God had cre- uh, caused them to break out in balls and have all this uh, bad things that happened to them. So they kind of loaded it up on a cart and, and hitched some uh, cows to it and said, hey, you know, let's get rid of them. And they sent it down the road. And uh, it didn't make it all the way back to David at that time. It kind of uh, broke down there uh, all along the way, and it stayed out uh, away from Jerusalem for a period of time. And, and it stayed at, at one man's house after they attempted to bring it uh, to Jer- uh, Jerusalem. But because they didn't have the Levites carrying it, one of the guys, and it was being pulled by an oxen cart and the oxen stumbled and the guy went to steady the ark because it was falling and God struck him dead. Okay? This is all pointing to the holiness of God. Why did God do that? And David was upset. He was angry with God because he was, uh, this guy was just trying to keep the ark of the covenant from falling over. And why would God do this? And it stayed there for a period of time uh, and the reason that God did this is because He's holy. And they're to, they, uh, the Israelites know better than to pull it on a cart, uh, the Ark of the Covenant on an oxen cart. They know better than, than anyone other than the Levites to handle the Ark of the Covenant. And all of this points to the holiness of God. And so when the ark does come into Jerusalem, David's so excited, he dances in the streets in the linen uh, uh, garments that the, the Levites have worn. And he's done all this because he, he learned from his mistake. He, he, uh, he understands the holiness of God and, and it's coming into Jerusalem like it's supposed to. And so uh, all of those things are pointing to the holiness of God. And so... 
when you say, uh, when you read here, for uh, Peter says, uh, "Be holy, for I am holy." Uh, it's understood that God is holy. It's understood that because of all the practices, all the things that they did. Not only all the things that I just mentioned, but uh, they had uh, the Israelites had to uh, adhere to all these different laws because they needed to be in a state of holiness themselves in order to be close to God. And so Peter is telling these these Israelites that have accepted Christ and they've gone back to their homes throughout all Asia that now that they are children of God, he tells them in verse 13, gird up the loins of your mind. Uh, Girding up the loins of your mind is... Uh, I think when I read that, I think about Elijah. Remember Elijah in the Old Testament? Elijah was uh, had uh, gone up to Mount Carmel and he had uh, challenged the the uh, prophets of Baal, and and God had rained down the fire on the on the the uh, the altar there, and everyone said, uh, "Yes, Jehovah is the one true God." And they had killed all of the prophets of Baal that had come to to try for this showdown on on Mount Carmel. And remember at that time there was still no rain. And Ahab was going back, uh, was there. King Ahab uh, uh, was there. And and God told uh, Elijah, tell Ahab to hurry up and go on back to his palace because there's coming such a rain that he's not going to be able to make it back if he doesn't start now. Remember, there had been about three and a half years without any rain. There had been such a drought. And they there was not a cloud in the sky. And, and Elijah told his servant to go out several times to see if there was a cloud in the sky. And finally he said, there's a cloud about the size of a hand. And he said, now go tell Ahab to hurry back because it's coming, a deluge is coming. It's just a little cloud this big. And God tells Elijah to go and beat him to the palace. So he, the Bible says he girded up his loins. He, he, he basically, uh, and y'all were in your costumes this week with Bible school, you wore the, the robes and everything. It's basically taking the bottom of the robe and pulling it up and of course the men had the big sash around their waist and it's putting the tail of that uh, that robe through that sash so it kind of makes a, a makeshift breeches and that's what it means to gird up your loins uh, and Peter is saying gird up your loins of your mind why would you do that? Anytime you girded up your loins, you're getting ready for action. You're getting ready to go running or doing something like Elijah ran and beat uh, Ahab back to the palace. He says, gird up your loins of your mind because you've got some work to do. You've got to, you're going to have some action to do. He says, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, be sober and hope for the end that brings... He, he says, you need to get in the frame of mind that is right with God and you need to have your mind that is pure in heart. And he says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance. He says, look, you're no longer 
who you once were. You've got work to do. You've got to get ready to get to get your life right with God and get right with God and have your life. And, and look, I'm not talking about um, making yourself holy. And I don't believe Peter's talking about that either. You know, people when they get uh, when they uh, consider whether or not to invite Jesus into their heart and life, a lot of times people will think, you know, well, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to have to quit smoking. I'm going to have to quit drinking. I'm going to have to uh, quit going around, uh, hanging around with those people that that like to carouse and and act a fool. I'm going to have to do this and have to do that, give up drugs and all that kind of thing. And that's not what God wants of you. You're not to try and make yourself clean before you accept Jesus into your heart. You accept Jesus into your heart and allow Jesus to make you clean. Allow Jesus to clean up your act. Allow uh, the Spirit of God that lives and dwells in you to, to root out those things that are in your life that, that don't belong, that don't need to be there. It's kind of like... Uh, Y'all are talking about somebody taking a house that had been uh, falling apart and, and, and run down and cleaning it up and making it nice and everything. That's kind of like what happens when we get saved. Our life, is fi- uh, our life is like an old house that's got a bunch of feral cats in it and it's got uh, a hole in the roof that, and the barn swallows are coming in and, and making uh, nests up in the attic and you got a roof uh, leak that, that's in the roof and you got holes in the floor of the of the house and you want to get in there and you want to and when you go into the house like that you don't want to leave all that the way it is like that you want to make the house nice you want to fix the floor you want to patch the roof you want to uh, get rid of all them cats living underneath the the front porch you want to uh, drive away uh, the bats in the belfry or the bats or birds in the attic you want to get all the spiders and all that kind of stuff that are in there out of the house why because you're coming in there to dwell you want to make it nice you want to make it the way it's supposed to be and when we accept jesus christ in the heart and our in our heart and life the holy spirit comes into our life and he says i want this place spotless and holy because i'm holy he says no longer are you going to be doing these things no longer are you going to be participating in those things because i dwell in this place now and no longer you're not going to bring those things in here any longer that's why we with everything in our heart we ought to yearn not to do the things we once did and that's what Peter's talking about. He says, you need to get ready and you need to have your, uh, you need to do everything you can to uh, bring about. And, and look, it's not that we make ourselves clean. It's that we allow the Spirit of God to work in us to bring us to that state of clean, cleansing. In our, am I, are y'all still there? You still awake? Okay. Y'all are about to nod off there, aren't you? Uh, uh, you know, it's God that does these things, but we've got to be willing to allow the Spirit of God to work in us, right? I mean, we can't be sitting there resisting and still going out to the club and wanting to dance till 3 o'clock in the morning and, and you know, uh, be the woo girl and still uh, drinking all kinds of stuff that you ought not to be drinking because you have the Spirit of God in you. You have, your life has been changed. Your life has been transformed. You're no longer 
casting your life away, you're the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. And that's what Peter's trying to say. You've got to gird up your heart and life because God's coming to dwell in you. And you need to be the obedient children He's called you to be. Verse 14, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust which were in your, you had in your ignorance. He says, look, you need to cast off all those things that you used to do, all those bad habits, all those things that you used to do. When I was a little kid, I had a little trick that I did with a rock. It's, you know, when you're on the playground, you're trying to impress other people. You do all kinds of stuff. I couldn't, I couldn't make baskets from a long way. Well, you know, I was a little kid and I'm trying to, I can remember and I must have been, whew, I don't know, I must have been uh, pre-K or kindergarten or first grade, something like that. And I had this thing where I'd take little rocks and other kids would dare me. Have you ever known these little kids? Working in schools, you know kids will do all kinds of things. And one of the things that little kids will do, they'll eat rocks and they'll eat all kinds of stuff, right? I remember uh, uh, being dared by other kids to, to, to eat a rock. So I, I mean, when you're little, you do those crazy things, right? Because you want to be accepted by other people. You want to, you want people to look at you and say, "Oh, wow, you're crazy," or you, you know, you're you're something, you're wonderful, or you're you're great, or whatever it is. And you know, uh, at least I wasn't sticking fingers and and places in my head and drawing out stuff and eating that. I mean, I was eating just a rock, you know, and. and uh, 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 but we do all kinds of cra- little kids do all kinds of crazy little things like that. But when you get older, you don't. Hopefully, you're not still doing those crazy things, right? You're not eating earwax out of your ear or or things out of your nose. You're you or little rocks or anything else. You're not doing those crazy things anymore. Why? Because you're growing. You're maturing. You're you're not that little child any longer. And Peter is saying, look, you're not the people you once were. You're different. You're changed. The Spirit of God lives in you. So put aside all those childish lusts, the things that used to be a part of your life. Get rid of those things that you did in ignorance. What were some of those things? Well, some of these people were uh, not only worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they were also worshiping idols in their own hometowns. The idols that they that their uh, other relatives and other people that lived where they were living were worshiping. And he's saying, you got to get rid of those things. you got to get uh, those things out of your life. He's saying, put away those uh, childish uh, lusts, those things that used to be a part of your life. He says, verse 15, but as he which hath called you is holy. Now he's talking about God. He's saying, God is holy. He's, he's the one that called you into this relationship. So be ye holy in all your manner of conversation. He's saying, look, uh, you didn't stumble into this relationship. God chose you. 
And that's true still to this day. When you accept Jesus Christ in your heart and life, it's not because you saw a great deal and you latched on to it. It's not because someone came along and convinced you something you never would have uh, believed in. It's because the Spirit of God has been pursuing you and pursuing you. God chose you. God desires for you to have a relationship with Him. And God uh, yearns for you to have a relationship. And He selected you to be His child. And Peter is saying, listen, it's He who selected you, the God, the God's Holy Spirit, is God's Holy Spirit that drew you unto Him is holy. So you are to be holy. He says, in everything that you do, in all manner of conversation, He's not talking about just the things you say, in everything you do, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. This is the message of God. And this is, uh, you know, the holiness of God is, is something that God told the children of Israel as He was drawing them out of uh, bondage and slavery, as He was drawing Abraham to be a, a separate people. He said, I've chosen you. And he's saying now, after Abraham and all this has happened, and now Jesus Christ has come, he's saying now God is selecting you again, not just to be a child of God as an Israelite, but to be a child of God as a follower of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus Christ has followed you to be... And look, the children of Israel understood what it meant to be separate. Everything in their life was about being separate and set apart. And God told them to remain pure. Why? Because He was helping them to understand that as they were trying to draw themselves to, be, uh, to live a pure lifestyle, it was reflecting on the fact that God is holy. And He said, look, I, uh, I am setting you apart from the rest of the world. He told Abraham. He said, you're to be holy and separate. And that means you, holy is, it, it, the root word of that, of holy is, is relates to the fact that it, to be set apart, to be set aside for a specific purpose. And so as God is holy and set aside, separate, not corrupted by the rest of the world, He expected His people to be that way. And as they came into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, Peter said, you are to be holy as well. As God called His people to be holy, you're to be holy. It doesn't change the fact that you're coming to God in a, in a way through Jesus Christ. He says you are to be holy. And he's not talking about going through all the rituals and everything uh, the Israel Israelites did to try and be holy. And you remember the disciples talked about all those barriers that separated God and man being torn down by the blood of Jesus Christ and the work that He did on the cross now allowing us to go boldly uh, to the throne of grace come straight to, to God without having to have a high priest. He says that doesn't change the fact that you are to be holy. And God calls us to a holy lifestyle. And so... In this day and age where the world is looking for authentic Christians, people that are truly what they say they are, we need to be authentic too. We need to be holy. We need to be set aside. We need to cast aside all those things in our life that we think are so important that we get so hung up on 
And I got to thinking about all the things that, that we did during Bible school. school. And look, we didn't have a podium up here when uh, we were having vacation Bible school. We didn't sing hymns out of the hymn book. We sang songs that were upbeat and up-tempo and that the kids could enjoy and, and all that. We need to get away from all the things that we think we have to have in order to do church and realize that what we really only need to have is the presence of God in this place and people who are willing to welcome the presence of God and, and urgently desire to be in the presence of God in this place and to worship God and to exalt God and to glorify God in everything that we do that's the most important thing. So, you know, we can have upbeat songs. We can have songs on the screen. We can have songs that are uh, played with guitars and, and drums and, and electric guitars as well as piano. We, uh, we can have uh, times where we have services without the, uh, the pulpit. Uh, we can have times where we don't worry about being all dressed up in a suit and tie. Uh, it's not all those things. It's about our relationship to God and, and striving to be what God's called us to be. A people set apart to Him. A people set apart to God. Holy. That's what the true meaning of holiness is. Not, not necessarily just with, uh, you know, without sin, but to be set apart for the purpose of worshiping God. And that's our calling. And if we're authentic in that manner, I believe the world will see us as authentic people. And they'll be drawn to a place where they see God in an authentic way. A place like this. Let's pray.